Blog Talk Radio. Here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome aboard, all you ground troops spinning around smartly on the planet we call home, Earth Gaia, and the home of American Communications Online, and we are talking to you from live from New York, but I'm down in Florida, so I am syndicating to you through Mr. Levy, who sold his company, Blog Talk Radio to Vox. We're growing all the time in America. Welcome, everybody, from Australia, over in the Emirates, over in the Netherlands. I can see you. Thank you so much, all you UK fans, for staying up late tonight. We're actually going to sponsor a very big crew today, some very famous people from California. They're over in Orange County. And what is Orange County famous for in America? You guessed it. Disneyland. Mickey Mouse. And the leader of the band, did you guys ever see the music man? Well, this man is the one we're bringing to you live. Now, he is very, very famous. Some of you, I even saw him. And that's like, wow, I had no idea who this guy was. And so I'm so excited because I had to go do a little research. His name is Stan, and his wife's name is Tara. And their last name is Freeze. That's right, just like the famous movie Freeze or something like that, F-R-E-E-S-E. But Stan and Tara are now joining us tonight for the first time as individual speakers, but they're also working together to help some friends of ours. I found a lady named Suzanne Wyman, or actually she found me, and we have been working together right here for four months, and her husband is an artist, Rich Flynn, and he does beautiful artwork, and all of our group are great event planners, coordinators, entertainers. I am an author, singer, songwriter, but nothing like the famous Stan, and you probably know who he is if you've ever been to Disney World. I'm going to read you something here. Now, Tara Freeze is here to help him because she's helping him run his wonderful production company. They have an entertainment and production company together. And Suzanne helps Rich with all of his beautiful wedding um, places you've lived, toured, artwork. So together they formed a team for us in California. And I am so blessed to be able to be a part of this team tonight. And all my friends that have been listening to me around the world for over eight years. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now let me tell you about this new team. Stan and Tara Freeze have been working together for several years with Suzanne Wyman and Rich Flynn, and they actually all met at Disney. So Stan actually, I believe he was born in 1944, so he's one of our old guys in the Men in Black groups, you know, our movie guys. But he was on Hee Haw, that's where I saw him, but he has a wonderful entertainment company. He is a well-known I mean, actually, I can't wait to hear his story because he is a tuba player and musical director, but I got to hear him play that tuba 
oh my gosh, like a, I don't know, I can't explain it. He's like a gift from music heaven or something, but he is also a musical director. Now, he's served as a talent casting and booking director for Disney Entertainment Productions for many years. Now, I've got 45 years, but when I went back doing a little research on YouTube, I thought I heard something about 47 years, but that's why he's starting his own show so we can get these facts straight. So, Freeze has worked as a musical director, but he's also served in many roles throughout his career and company. And he's been on many television shows, including Hee-Haw. Everybody's got to remember that if you're a baby boomer, for sure. I was born in 51. Now, he's been able to – he probably is the guy that actually interviewed my husband. When my husband, as a trumpet player, he was working at NASA, but they flew him down to Orlando to interview, and my kids are all excited tonight because this guy was like sort of the leader of the band even in Orlando. So I don't know, but we'll find all that stuff out tonight. Now, he is a former show director for Tokyo Disneyland, so I guess he's been all over the world because from what I can see on all his YouTubes, he has been a world traveler, and I've seen pictures as well. Now, he has been a producer for Pleasure Island, which I hope he'll explain all this, uh, we can't know everything, but we're going to try to in less than two hours. Walt Disney World, is a, he's been a musical show director for Tokyo Disney Sea. Now, I know all these words look similar when you write them, but when you talk them, they may be a different, different uh, I guess, bird or fish altogether. Now, Stan, being a Stan, uh, talent and casting director for Disney, has learned how to help people all over the world, and now that we're in this COVID-19 2020 episode, we're going to be asking him to introduce a lot of his people from overseas and in-country, but he's developing music ensembles like he's always done, and he's been overseeing musical performances so much of his life since he was just a kid, okay? So his parents were musicians, and he's actually played his famous tuba on the White House lawn, as well in Russia, as well as on the Great Wall of China. I mean, this guy is absolutely amazing. His wife, Tara, has agreed as a former model. She is beautiful. I don't know if we'll, if he'll let us call her a trophy wife or not, but she's that beautiful to be one. We could take her picture and put it on top of a trophy. She's a spokesperson, and she is a trade show event manager, and they both are booking agents and entrepreneurs that help others. They're all about being useful. They're all about the value of entertainment. They help visual and performing artists, including moi, me tonight. I mean, gosh, they're right here. But it was Susan Wyman that discovered them and Rich Flynn. So Susan Wyman is going to help me tonight with our team called the ACO Radio Club, if anybody's interested, so we can get more bang for the buck. Buck. <laughs> Maybe the bunk too. <laughs> we'll need the bunk after tonight. So f- f- you can tell I'm really excited. These people are coaches, they're consultants, they're entrepreneurs, they're mentors. And on the back side of this, flip side, they have friends they're going to bring us that already are in producing and helping people. So this is all about the excitement of helping others. So let me bring on, without further ado, all the speakers uh, that have formed this ACO Radio Club. And tonight we're launching a new moon, Tara and Stan, or Stan and Tara Freeze show. 949, is this Mrs. Suzanne Wyman Flynn? This is 
Susie and Wyman here. I've got a lovely dog in my backyard who isn't my dog, but it's my neighbor's dog, so if the dog barks, please try and ignore it. I'm happy to be here. And, TJ, you have done a wonderful job of introducing everybody. Thank you for having us and putting this together and all of your work in putting this together so everybody can listen to the show. You're absolutely a fabulous host, and thank you very much. Well, thank you. I've pretty much been born into this, I hope, but we'll have to see because Stan's the guy, right? He's the guy with all the intelligence that will tell us how great we're doing. Is this Rich Flynn, 714-348? Did I hit? Yay! All right. I got the right one. All right. Well, Rich Flynn, introduce yourself and whatever else you want to say so we can get on with the show. Hee-haw. Okay, I'm Rich. (laughs) Hee-haw. I'm Rich. <laughs> so I'm Rich Flynn. I'm an artist. So artists on the radio, on the radio, you have to look up www.richflynn.com to look at my art. It's visual, but I'm really excited to be here, TJ and everybody, and I just can't wait to hear some of Stan's funny and amazing stories. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you guys found this wonderful team that's been around the world. Tara Freeze, is that you, Miss yes. Spokesperson? I'm here. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> well, introduce yourself, Tara. Let me hear your big one, too. You've been on stage many times. You're beautiful, quite the front lady for all of us with the ACR Radio Club. So introduce yourself. Give us your big one, too. What you got for us? Okay. Well, uh, my name is Tara Freeze, and I was a print and trade show model for 10 years. I also did some TV work during that time. Then I trans, trans, transitioned into the owner of a modeling agency. Then I kind of morphed into a real estate broker, <laughs> and uh, I'm currently illustrating some children's books. But my uh, my best job is taking care of Stan and being the grandmother to six wonderful grandchildren. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's what it. a full life. Yes. And you were so beautiful and very beautiful lady, folks. I hope you guys get a chance to see her. We're trying to encourage them to get back into big uh, big video, you know, on the screen so I can see them on my big screen TV in my living room. Well, uh, <laughs> Let me put, uh, I don't know who to put on first, but I know we got to get to the big man himself because we're all celebrating Stan Freeze. And once you learn about him on all our YouTube channels and all of our talk shows live, you will understand why everybody in California loves this man. And I know you're going to know who he is if you've ever seen he So without further ado, let's get Stan Freeze on here. Stan Freeze, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Oh, awesome. There you are. You, Stan, we made it. You made just it. did the miracle. It's really wonderful. Thank you for joining yeah, us this is tonight. Fun. Is it? Oh, of course. This is great. This is fun. Huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to mute now, Stan. I've got you warmed up, I hope, because I want to hear everything about you, and I know you've taken notes, and Tara has been with you long enough to prompt you on your stories. Rich is here to go over some uh, memories from Disneyland, and uh, then I understand you have a guest. Now, did you invite your guest for the first of the show? Because somebody called in on Skype, but I don't know. I don't see his phone number. This is all ones. Is your friend calling in the last hour, Stan? You know what? I'm not sure. 
uh, his name is Scott Wolf, and uh, he's he's the fellow that uh, helped me with the book that I wrote, Music Mayhem and the Mouse. So that could be Scott. But uh, let's just get going here a little bit, and okay. uh, and then if he comes in later, great. But okay. just to okay. tell you a little bit about myself, uh, I'm a, well. Let's see. What can I say? I'm a Leo. I'm a Type A personality. I'm an only child. I'm an ESFP Meyer Briggs. I'm the poster child for ADD and ADHD. I'm a recovering alcoholic. And uh, with all of that pedigree, I wonder why my wife ever married me. But <laughs> but the reason is because her ex-husband was such a jerk, I look good. Anyhow, so that's kind of, you know, uh, in a nutshell, my DNA. And, uh, you know, uh, music has been my whole life, obviously. My mom and dad were both music educators. They both graduated, did the graduate work uh, in Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, in music. They were both music instructors, uh, music teachers, both privately and publicly in college. And uh, so I, I, had no, no, I had no choice. I could not get away from being in uh, music and music education, which turned out to be really great for me. You know, so uh, my life has been nuts. You can well imagine being a recovering alcoholic. That's part of it. And uh, that's the good part. <laughs> the good part is I'm recovering. Uh, but my life has been described by some people as a, a circus without a tent. You know, uh, my good friend Pat Patterson uh, once once said, Stan, you know, people's lives are like a house, most people. They have a room for family, a room for their occupation, a room for their hobbies, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you live in a gymnasium. So and that kind of, you stop and think about that analogy for a minute. It kind of makes sense. You know, everything is all uh, kind of a whirl all the time, which is fun, which is great. Because I kind of decided that, you know what, a few months ago I was looking at the obituary in the L.A. Times. And uh, I was looking at the the ages of those deceased, and I decided to average them. So I averaged them that Sunday, uh, that Sunday from the obituary. I averaged everybody's age that had passed. And decided that uh, when I did, the sobering fact was that uh, I have a life expectancy of 24 hours. So at my age, I'm 76, you know. So I went, you know what, I better start writing some stuff down before I tip over. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of how the whole thing got started. You know, I'm blessed to have my wonderful wife, Tara, and my two great sons, Josh and Jason, and my terrific stepson, Jacob. So family is a big deal for us and our grandchildren. And, uh, you know, that's probably the most important thing in my life. But, uh, you know, and, and being with you guys and doing this has just added a brand new dimension and something I'm really excited about. Dan, I've known you. Are you, you. still there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Um, yeah. I've known, I've known you since you came into Cafe Tutu Tango to do a retirement party from somebody from Disney that was retiring, and I think they were going into the CIA or the FBI, and it was such an odd thing. But that's how I met you, and the first uh, party you booked me for, which I didn't know how extraordinary it was, was a a party held at Quincy Jones' home with his daughters uh, being the hostesses. And that was the first party you brought me into. 
And I'm trying to think if that was like 2003 or 2004. Four. 2004. Probably three uh-huh. or four. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 Good and times. Great start. Really? Yeah, really was. It was very impressive. Um, and it was a it was such a detailed project. I mean, one person did the tablecloth. Somebody else did the cupcakes. Somebody else did the cups. And it was this beautiful Alice in Wonderland tea party held in this Bel Air mansion. And it was incredible. So, um, and working for Disney has been really kind of an interesting, it's never, it's so many creative people to create, the most creative people in the world desire an opportunity just to serve at Disneyland. So tell us, tell us like, I mean, gosh, I love your stories. The one story I really want to hear about that I thought was great was that you were, you wanted to be a tuba player when you were a kid and your dad instructed you as if you were a trumpet player. And I really want to hear that story for a minute. I, I, I took the tuba on a bet on a dare when I was in fourth grade. Uh, Mm -hmm. The band director came into the school and a uh, school assembly and showed everybody all the different instruments that you could take in the fourth grade back in Edina, Minnesota. And uh-huh. so uh, my friends I was sitting with, Bruce uh, McFadson and Keith Critchlow, they said, we'll give you a quarter. Each of us will give you a quarter if you take the tuba. Well, in 1964, 50 cents was quite a lot. So I said, of uh-huh. course I will. So I went down there and signed up for the tuba and uh, came home and told my folks about it. And uh, they didn't really freak out like I thought they might because they were both convinced I'd probably only do it for a month or two and then get tired of lugging that big thing around. But, but uh, you know, my father being a, a trumpet player, he brought home some trumpet solos and uh, trumpet music. And I, I started playing, playing the trumpet stuff, transcribing it. My dad would transcribe it and I would play that, not knowing that you weren't supposed to do that on a tuba. And so hmm. I, I kind of took that the next step and, and started to do a little bit uh, of some kind of 20s and 30s and 40s jazz. And the next thing you know, I'm on the Lawrence Welk show when I'm in, uh, see, I'm, what was I, 13, I guess, back then, 1958. Jeez, um, that's a long time ago. Anyhow, uh, so, I, so Welk, Welk had heard me uh, in Minneapolis uh, at the State Fair and asked if uh, I wanted to come out and be on the show. And he said, of course, you know. So my dad and I flew out, and I was on the show, and he offered me a full-time job uh, because he had a kid's band back then. It was Cubby O'Brien on drums and whatever. So they offered me a full-time gig, but my parents were both school teachers back in in Minneapolis, and I was there, and it would have been a big hassle moving to to Hollywood. And uh, so that was kind of the beginning of my doing what I did, you know, with the tuba. And ever since then, it's just been really a lot of fun, you know. I mean, it's taken me, like you said, it's taken me to Russia, you know, it's taken me to China. You know, I was a soloist in the Soviet Union uh, with the University of Minnesota Wind Ensemble. And, uh, you know, so the tuba's been really good to me. Some other guys, maybe I don't know. Maybe they haven't had as much fun with it, but, boy, I sure have, you know. And it's mostly just been fun. Totally fun. You gotta have fun. Life's too long, you know, for you not having fun. So, so I love that, it. That's kind of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, another one of your stories that I really, really love is I love the story where you talk about and you first went to perform on Hee Haw, and I love that. I love that story about your 
showing up and not knowing what to expect as far as clothes and so forth. And if you're okay sharing that story in public, I would oh, love to hear it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I had clothes on the whole time. But anyhow, <laughs> I, yeah, so here I am, you know, at Disneyland, and uh, I'm going to go down to Nashville to be on Hee Haw. And so I figured, well, you know, that I better dress like a cowboy like those guys do. So I bought brand-new cowboy boots, new jeans, a new leather vest, and uh, I got off the plane. And back then, they were men were carrying man bags, you know. Uh-huh. So I had my little man bag, and so I get in the limo. They sent a, a driver for me. I get in the limo, and the limo driver is a really great guy. He's at the studio, and he says, Stan, you know what? This is just a suggestion, but maybe you shouldn't carry that purse in. Uh, down here in Nashville. So I went, okay, so we left that in the car and uh, showed up for the first day of filming and I've got all my cowboy stuff on and I look around and there's Chet Atkins and he's got golf clothes on, Adidas stuff. Roy Clark, he's got his golfing clothes on, golfing shoes. Everybody in that band, uh, Boots Randolph, Floyd Kramer, they all had golfing clothes, and here I am from L.A. dressed up like a cowboy, and they're looking at me as if, oh, man, here it comes, you know. And uh, so I was totally humiliated, ran into the men's room and yanked my shirt out of my pants and tried, you know, tried to look kind of informal and, and uh, like I knew what I was doing, even though I didn't. But they got a kick out of it. Everybody laughed at me, and then, uh, then away we went and had a really good time. And as a result of that, I was on a number of times. My deal with Yeehaw was that I could um, be on the show as many times as I could write a funny song about the tuba that I could do with Roy, because Roy's a tuba player, or was. And, uh, so, and we would film that show every six months. So... Uh, if in some seg- six-month segments, I didn't have any time because of a busy schedule at Disney. I didn't have time to write any funny tunes. I wouldn't be on. However, mm-hmm. maybe there would be another six-month segment that I wrote nine or ten tunes, so I would be on a bunch during that mm-hmm. six-month segment. And so that's kind of how it went, you know. And um, uh, it, it all turned out really, really fun for me. Definitely, but that that was my showing up in the wrong clothes at the wrong time. And I tell you what, it happened again in California when I had my first record date. I was from Minneapolis. I had just moved to Hollywood. I had my first record record date at Capitol on the tuba, and I walked in, and I've got a blazer, a blue blazer, gray pants, a white shirt, and a tie because I'm from Minnesota, and I look around, and once again, all the players are in swimming trunks. And, you know, golf clothes and whatever. And once again, I had to go out to the car, take off my coat, you know, take off my tie, try and look like I'm, you know, know what I'm doing. So two two different times, a boy from the Midwest kind of got a lot of lessons taught to him. But that's what it's all about anyhow. I had a good time. Okay. So I love it. It just shows a lot of humility on your part to show these stories that you don't look like you're in your best light, but definitely had your best opportunities. So I've never asked you for this story. Um, How did you end up going to work for Disney World? And if I remember right, you um, you were the director of the orchestral program. Well, no, I was the first leader, full-time leader of the Disney World Band. Okay. Uh, 
1971 when we opened the park down there. I went down there with a fellow by the name of Sonny Anderson, and he and I and uh, uh, a few other people put together the musicians down there before the park actually opened. And uh, so then I became that first leader of the Disney World Band in September of 71. Stayed down there two or three years and and, uh, decided that probably Central Florida wasn't my number one pick. So was ready to move back to California when they said, how would you like to go to Disneyland and Mm -hmm. be the director of that band? And I said, yes, thank you. So Uh that's how they moved my family and myself and moved out here. And I became uh, the leader of the Disneyland band for a number of years, which was wonderful. You've had you've had a your at one point in time when I first met you you said that you were the because um, you're retired from Disney now you work in a in a consultant capacity right now but right. you said at but, one point that you were one of the last people working when you were working at Disneyland that had actually worked with Walt himself so no, no but no. no but I had at uh, Walt had died in '66. So, okay. uh, but I, I, but I had all of those guys in the Disneyland band. The older guys, they had been alive. Uh, they had been there when Walt was alive. So I got okay. all of my Walt Disney stories from the older guys in the Disneyland band. Uh, and and Walt loved the band. He would come down in the morning to listen to the band concert in Town Square, and he'd have a trench coat on. He'd have his hat. He'd pull the hat down and sit there incognito. And always loved that music that was indigenous to Town Square, which is Scott Joplin, John Philip Sousa, Carl King, mm. you know, and uh, that was his favorite. So that's mm. how the the band, I think, had the longevity that they had was that Walt himself liked it. If he hadn't liked it, he'd have been there for, you know, the first two weeks and then gone. But he loved the band, so... Lucky us, you know, lucky Disneyland. So, you know, there's a there's a real I'm gonna take and take the conversation on a little divergent point. But live music does something to the human that words can't do. So people can hear music and be receptive to the process of music, especially live music, and it it, it reaches deep inside of them in a way that sometimes words can't access and in, in the deepest part of the metaphysical movement, you study the Pythagorean theory, which is each of the instruments works with different chakras. And so I think that what you're telling me is, is that the spiritual quality of feeling uh, alive through music um, was there for Walt, and that was his pleasure. But your journey is very spiritual. Talk about the tie between uh, your family and doing seances and your family, the musicians, because it's really an amazing story of contrast. Amazing. Well, yeah. <laughs> so this isn't <laughs> something I tell a lot of people because they'll think I'm nuts. But okay. uh, my mom and dad uh, were both, uh, my mom was the choir director of uh, the Methodist church. And my dad was the superintendent of Sunday school but they also, as kind of a hobby, kind of a parlor <laughs> hobby, delved into uh, the psychic phenomena and, and uh, readings and, uh, you know, the spiritual aspect of that whole thing, along with it never did. They didn't base their life on all of that, but it was a very interesting 
part of their life. So I had gone to to seances when I was like 15 years old, my first one, and mm-hmm. uh, and had gone to seances down in uh, Casadega, Florida, which is a, a, at least years ago it used to be a hotbed for psychics who lived there, and then mm-hmm. Chesterfield, Indiana, right outside of Anderson, Indiana, and uh, that was another place where a lot of psychics back then lived. So they would go there, uh, just kind of a fun deal, and I would go with them. And like I say, it was not the kind of thing you wanted to build your entire life on everything they said, but it sure was fun. It was interesting. It was just another dimension, not ever taken away from Christianity or, or Christ, you know, or Ram Dass, but it, is, it was just a, a really interesting journey through all of that. I hate to use the word journey. Everybody uses it, but that's kind of what oh, it was yeah. through all of that. You know, so I got right. a thousand stories about those. So, so I have. So, first of all, um, I love the fact that you can talk about you know uh, a very conventional upbringing with a church and belonging to a church and parents that were active in a church and served in the church. And really, I work as a psychic, and I have never separated myself from my relationship with religion, Christianity, um, unity. Um, the metaphysical movement, any of those things. So I consider myself a deeply spiritual person. But I have to tell you my very favorite, and I love that tie that you make between those two worlds, that you can be a a good Christian who is an active participant in your religion, and you can still converse with a psychic. And I don't think that's – I don't think you actually ever really need a psychic. I think you might want a psychic, but I believe – um, you can live your whole life without ever talking to a psychic. So I don't think it's a need. Um, I think it's a want. But you have one story that I love so much about the story about when you were at a seance and the American Indians joined into the seance. Oh, yeah. And that is my favorite story. Yeah. Okay, so here's this. In this world, uh, there are two or three different ways that you can you can enjoy the psychic phenomena. And one of them is through trumpets, and they, they're referred to in the Bible, you know, uh, as speaking through trumpets. Well, there are actually aluminum trumpets that look like a, a, a megaphone, a cheerleader's megaphone, only smaller. And they are collapsible, so they collapse down into only maybe a foot, foot and a half long, but they expand out to about three feet. And um, they're made out of aluminum, so they can travel uh, easier through the air. And what you do is you get into a circle. And now you know if you're in a legitimate one or not, because they always start with the Lord's Prayer uh, at these psychic uh, sessions. And then sometimes they'll sing uh, 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 an old religious song, you know, uh, but they'll always do the Lord's Prayer. Then Mm -hmm. um, the, the psychic will go into her whatever it is, and they turn the lights off, and all of a sudden, so we're in a circle, eight of us, and our trumpets are in the middle of the circle on the floor. The lights are off, and we're ready to go. And what happens is that the trumpets rise up from the floor, and they kind of float about three feet off the floor, and they go around, uh, and you can hear people speak to you from the other side, through the trumpet and I would know if it was right or not because my grandmother was from Ireland and she would have this Irish brogue well okay and that would come through the trumpet so one day 
we've got the trumpets there, and all of a sudden, a bunch of Native Americans, a bunch of uh, Indians uh, come in to the seance, grab all of these. Uh, now, they're just the spirits. They're, they're ethereal. We're not seeing them. But they're banging these trumpets around, having a great time. So they're having fun. They're whooping. They're hollering. I'm scared to death. We're all scared to death. They're knocking these trumpets together. In the dark, finally somebody runs over to the wall, turns on the light, and immediately all the trumpets fall down in the middle of the circle again around our feet, all banged up. And I'm wow. banged up. I've still got my – the next time you're over at the house, I'll show you my trumpet. or is my dad's uh, with a luminous band. He put a luminous band on his so he could follow it go around. And, of course, when it would come around me, I'd stick my feet out in front of me uh, to try and trip who was ever there that was shouldn't have been. And uh, But that was just being a 16-year-old wise ass. But um, uh, so that's what the that was the trumpet deal. And they banged those trumpets <laughs> up, and, and we were freaking out. But finally they collapsed, and we all were. No. Stan, are you there? Okay. So let's see if we can get Stan back online. It looks like his um, his call dropped off for a second. Maybe it's just a technical difficulty. What I really like about listening to the stories about Stan is that he's an excellent storyteller. He has the ability to take his information from the beginning to the middle to the end and keep the story together sequentially. So it is an inspiring process to listen to him because it makes perfect sense. Hey, are you there? Stan? Is Tara there? Uh, no, I don't know. I'm going to call back in. Are you? Th- is there anybody else there? Just me, I guess. Yeah, okay. we're still here. Everybody's still here. Uh, okay. I don't know why Stan dropped off. Tara, we've still got you. Everything's the same except Stan. Hey, Tara, are you there? <laughs> Their phone number. Like so let me let me see. Did y'all call in on Skype? The one eleven number? No, 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 no. We, I, I called you on Skype before the show started. It's just uh, we're all in on. on I'm muted. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, hello. There hey, hey, there you are. There you yeah, are. Okay. Uh, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So <laughs> no, no. Please don't apologize. It's nothing. Um, the story that you tell is so perfect because of how it's sequential. The hobby. Um, the, the trumpets, and you showed me your trumpet one time, and it is really lightweight. I never thought about the weight. The spirit world does need things that are light. So what a great story, and what a great introduction to you to seeing, to understanding how to uh, assess a psychic for being a real psychic and being a fake psychic because there's a lot of fakes, but there's not a lot of real psychics out there in the world. Oh, for yeah. sure. You know what? It's, it's the easiest profession in the world to be a fake at, you okay. know, totally, because how do you know? I see your sister Mary here, you know, big deal. <laughs> so, but you, you know, so that's why it's so much fun when we find somebody like you and, uh, you know, yeah, you kidding? So, yep. <laughs> do you know, we met at that party 
And I um, would walk up to a table at the restaurant, and I would say to them, you know, I'm part of the um, spontaneous fun and entertainment table side today, and it's my job to entertain you, and I'm the psychic. And so everybody at the, the group did their little reading, and it came your turn, you did your reading. And you know what you did? You looked up at me, and you go, you're for real? And I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so, so funny because um, – because it was a surprise to you, and I'm, I was always surprised early in, earlier in my career when people would say to me, well, you're for real, and I was like, yeah, and so I didn't know there was another type. I was quite sheltered um, in my early but, life. So. Yeah, but in the end, I'll tell you why uh, we continued a, a good relationship with you at Disney was mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, you were real, but you didn't tell – we had one psychic that I'd hired that actually told this poor lady about a car accident that she was going to be in. She left there. She left the room crying, you know, uh, and, and I, I could not believe it, but you never do that. Even though you might see something that's a little hazy, you don't go, Hey, you're going to drop dead tomorrow. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and, this, and we had a couple of people that kind of took themselves too seriously and not realize that you can't do that when you're entertaining a Disney. You know, everybody's at the party. Everybody's having a good time. That's all I need is for somebody to, that's like one of my greatest, I mean, sometimes people cry out of happiness or they cry because it's very real for them and it touches something inside of them. But it's my biggest fear to make somebody upset or cry. Everybody should get up from that table feeling happy and feeling good. Yeah, you do that. Ha- yeah, so maybe a little too yeah, brightly. Yeah, you do that, Suzanne. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you do that. Yeah. Tell me one of your favorite stories, Stan. We're buzzing through time here, and I just want you to tell me your personal favorite story, any category that you so desire. I want to hear your favorite story. Whoa, that I can actually tell. (laughs) I know. Uh, So many many stories that just are are not. uh, Oh, man. Oh yeah, there's a good story. So, okay, uh, one of the fellows uh, in the in the Disneyland band uh, had passed away, and they had asked that I take his ashes. He's a good friend of mine, and and spread them behind uh, you know some different places around at Disney. Some in the moat. Some in the you know, you know, this is, you're not, so obviously it's a federal offense to do this, so I don't do it every day. But, um, uh, so I've got this, per, uh, this buddy of mine's ashes that the family had given me, and I've got them in the office, and I've got them inside the credenza in the Tupperware, you know, with the, with the Tupperware lid on there. Well, in comes my friend. And he is a funny guy, a storyteller, and a this and that. And he's walking around the. He used to have the same office that I had, so he's coming into his old office, doing this whole routine. Ah, you got the same mirrors, you got the same couch, and he goes and he opens up the credenza and he picks up this this uh, full of of ashes and he puts his hand in there and he says, "And you got the same kitty litter." And I said, <laughs> "Do you remember so and so?" And he said, yeah, I remember. I said, you just had your hands in him. And my (laughs) buddy went totally white, sat down on the couch, and I thought he was going to pass out. But, you know, so, I mean, that that was kind of a funny story. (laughs) 
I love it. It was funny to me. <laughs> I love it. I I just love it. I just love it. So you have you have raised you are your mother was a concert pianist, your father was a trumpet player. And I don't remember you told me one of your uncles played uh, a wind instrument. But tell me who else behind you was a musician. Well, my mom uh, wasn't necessarily a concert pianist. She was a piano player and a vocal. Okay. Her her main thing was vocal, and she had done her graduate work uh, in, in uh, vocal music at Drake University, as my dad had an instrumental. And then her father and her brother um, both played in bands in Central Florida that were a la John Philip Sousa. Here is an interesting phenomenon of the 20s and 30s. Okay. There are a lot of there are a lot of mines, coal mines, and different kinds of mines, but particularly coal mines in Central Iowa, big ones, big mines. Everybody was a miner back then. Well, these mines actually had their own bands with their own uniforms. So, and they would not necessarily compete with each other, but they, the whole Midwest at one point always had live bands playing uh, these community bands or the mine bands uh, in the town square, like we have a town square at Disneyland. So uh, it was interesting that, that my parents, my grandparents and, and, uh, and uncles uh, actually played in those mine bands, you know? So, I was kind of into it, you know, from way back when. So I couldn't get out of it. I wouldn't have wanted to, but I mean, you know, it's just interesting that they were all all musicians. So my dad was a great trumpet player and a great teacher. So then, how did you mentor your sons into their love of music, and how did you? I mean, I think as a parent, you have an intuitive sense about what a child is capable of. And so talk to me about how you were okay. able to spot their skills. Okay. Well, with both of them, I decided that when they were young, I was not going to push them into being into music if they didn't want to be, for sure. Not mm-hmm. that I was, but I'd seen too many parents do that to their kids. So I introduced the boys um, to Josh to drums, uh, Jason to keyboard and woodwinds at a young age. And then, uh, and I got them really great teachers, the best I could find. And then I thought, you know what, if they are going to dig this and and dig into it, then I'm going to support it. If they want to quit and if they don't practice, blah, 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 I I can support that too. You know, Mm -hmm. they can be doctors and lawyers. So, as it turns out, they both really took to their instruments. And Josh, uh, I used we used to have to beg him to quit practicing. He would be <laughs> up early in the morning practicing. Uh, when he turned about 15, between 15 and 16, he had a chance to go around the world playing drums with a fellow by the name of Michael Damien. So I had to go and uh, talk to his counselors about him dropping out of school uh, and maybe, you know, figuring out how we were going to do that uh, to go on the road. Because uh, I figured this is a great experience, you know. Now, my in-laws, you know, hated me for a few minutes, but 
I thought this was going to be a great experience. So I went to the consular and I asked the consular. The consular said, you know what? Let's talk to some of his teachers and see what they say about Josh leaving school at 15. And they all came back the next day with me and they said, Josh does not belong in school. He sits in the back row, pulls his cap down, and he reads drum magazines. So <laughs> let him go. So my deal was with Josh in that very, those very first world tours was that he would take his books with him. Then I would get the assignments from school uh, at El Dorado High School and then send those out to him on the road. The band always stayed at the Hilton's. So my deal was that I would get those uh, books and then study to the Hilton at the next city, and then they would send it back to me and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? That lasted for about two months, and then it was over. So, so but Josh did finally finish, and interestingly enough, uh, he took his GED, but Josh is, is one that always is reading. He loves to read. He speaks really well. Uh, he can concentrate the verb, and uh, and he loves reading. You know, <laughs> so you don't necessarily have to do the what? Oh yeah, he journals too. Yes, and uh, so you know, education comes in a bunch of different colors, and uh, so that that was his, and it worked, and and uh, so then both boys. So I let them just, and the same with Jason. You know, I just figured if if they're going to show an interest. And if they're really going to practice and really going to love it, I'll support it. If they're not, then I don't. I won't necessarily support it. And that's kind of how it went. I availed them to the best of teachers and uh, would take them up to hear different groups up in L.A. and what have you. And then they just both ran with it. You know, it was just unbelievable. I'm so proud of both of them because they're both doing so well even now. Oh, yeah. You know, when I led the Disneyland band uh, up and down Main Street, they would come out during the summer. I would bring them out there with me every day. They would sit in the band and play their little fake drum and their little whatever and uh, as if they were the musicians in that band. They hung out with the band in the band room, and they kind of just, like, osmosed into, into being musicians. They couldn't get away from it. So, so it all worked great. It worked just like it should work, you know. I'm yeah. sure that in, in this incarnation, this is what they, they should be doing, and they're both doing great at it. Thank you, Evan. So, so let me ask you, because in the Pythagorean theory, um, the drummer is the first chakra, and it is, you know, it's where our it's where our first um, awareness of dreaming comes about, which is in utero. It is also the one that, you know, gives us a sense of direction, and it's the first seven years of life. So how did you have the inspiration that he would have the potential to be a great, world-class drummer? You know, he and the drummer in the Disneyland band, a guy named John White, John kind of took him under his shoulder, under his wing, and would let Josh sit next to him down there in town square and so mm-hmm. josh you know kind of had that was his buddy and uh he just ended up liking the drums because john played drums and next thing you know uh you know he's he's got a practice pad and and then he's practicing and driving us all crazy so we really didn't know for sure uh what he was going to do but it's like I said, I decided I would avail them to all the opportunity. If they took it, great. And if they didn't, 
I was fine with that too. So it just worked like it should in this incarnation. So I know this is kind of like politically maybe incorrect, but are you okay with telling our audience who your your um, son is today? Oh, yeah, that's that's, that's fine. Uh, Josh, uh, up until all of this, but Josh has been playing uh, drums with Sting uh, for 10 years. Uh, they had naturally their tours all canceled. And <laughs> Jason plays with two or three different groups uh, and, and – uh, you know, and their tours are all canceled too. One of them is uh, Green Day, that he uh, has worked with as uh, as you know a musician as a keyboard player, and um, of course their tours are canceled. Also, everybody's tours are canceled. All the yeah. musicians and entertainers right now are really struggling because everything yeah. has fallen out from underneath them. You know, this is crazy times. Yeah, just crazy. But so- thank heavens they both saved their money. Good, and good, thank good. heavens both their wives work, you know. <laughs> so the wives have a great job. You know, Amy's a, a college teacher and Nicole's a real estate broker. And, and uh, you know, so they do really well, which is great. If you're going to be a professional musician, you better hope that your wife <laughs> makes some money. <laughs> if, you're gonna be times, you know? if you're going to be an artist, rough times. if you're going to be an artist of any sort, you had better marry a woman who can produce an income because you just don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, you don't Suzanne, know. You're can right. you hear me? Yes. Okay, there's a, a surprise guest that what? would like to see if uh, Stan can remember him, and he wants to prompt him on a memory. He's worked at Disney for about 37 years. His initials are KK, but Stan, are you ready for a surprise guest? No. No. KKK from the KKK? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do All it. right. All right, let's do it. All right. Okay. Stan, hi. Who is this? Go ahead. It's, it's Kevin Kimmel. How are you, Stan? Hey, Kevin. Great, man. Hey, man. How are you? Good to hear your voice. Good. I know. It's been a while. I, uh, I saw your post on Facebook, and I was just listening and thought, let me call in because I, I – um, I heard a story. There was a security guard that worked at Disney at the at Harbor Gate at the employee entrance for many oh, years. Yeah. His name was Ben. And, yeah. and for those that, that don't know, he was a ex Marine, as I recall. And this guy yeah. went by the book. And uh, yeah. And so they wanted to make sure that people weren't taking things out of the park that weren't theirs. And so right. you had to, you had to open the bag for some guys and some guys were very inconsistent. This guy was very consistent and, and he would check you on the way in. He wanted to, to do all, you know, do all kinds of stuff. That was just right. a big, big pain in the butt. And I, if I remember correctly, Stan, you might have a really good story about uh, walking under that train trestle there at the employee entrance that involves ping pong balls. <laughs> yeah. No golf ball. Yeah. So golf what we did is we hit, yeah, we had Howie Price fill his trumpet case with about a hundred golf balls. And so he's getting ready to, you know, uh, uh, those of you that are Disney employees will know that when you come in by Harbor gate, you have to walk down underneath the railroad tracks. Anyhow. So uh, the guy says to Howie every day. Now, Howie's been there 25 years by this time. Naturally, he's not stealing anything, but the guy makes him open the case. So Howie says once again, well, okay. Opens it up and all of these golf balls come rolling out. People are tripping over them. They're falling over them. They're, and naturally, I'm just in, in total 
hysterics. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that. That was that golf ball thing. And I'll tell you another funny one. Uh, the band for my birthday, for my birthday, uh, my first year there. Okay, so I'm trying to be really cool and really buy the books, and and uh, so they baked me a birthday cake, but it was loaded, if you know what I mean. And I didn't know that. Uh, I found out later as I had a couple of pieces before the concert, you know, that that actually, and they were all, everybody was, everybody knew that I was eating my birthday cake and that it was loaded except me, all the other groups in the park. And so sometimes for the concert, I walk over there and now I got the giggles. And so I get up on stage, I turn around to introduce the band and I'm laughing so hard. I cannot introduce the band. Well, now, they get scared. They're playing the vamp. Do, 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 do. And I'm supposed to come in and say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the wonderful world of, of Disney, the musical world of Disney, blah, blah, blah. Well, I get laughing so hard I can't make that introduction. So now the band's nervous. They're playing this vamp. I'm not doing anything. And they're going, now what the hell do we do? So finally, Howie Price, uh, trumpet player, stood up from the back of the band and kicked off the band into that first song. Well, so I had that cake. And I had to get it out of the park. So I, I walked right by all the security guards with this birthday, this loaded birthday cake. If for some reason somebody had, uh, you know, tipped the hat, I would have been. They, there's a thing around there about a thousand reasons Stan Free should have been fired. This was one of them. You know, uh, this was one of those stories where if I'd have been caught doing that with that marijuana laden cake, there could have been some real trouble. You know, really trouble. <laughs> oh, that's so that's good. the cake story. Yeah. Kevin <laughs> Kevin, tell tell us who what you did at Disneyland so we have an idea of who you are. Oh, I I was a, a sound engineer. I mixed sound at various stages. I worked at one stage for twelve years and in fact Stan's uh Josh, he was just talking about Josh, the drummer, his if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it was probably his first band. He, it was for a pretty successful band there at the park. It was a boy band before there were boy bands. And uh, so anyway, so I mixed sound at the park and um, for, I was there for 30, yeah, like you said, 37 years. So, um, so anyway, so I, I got you to know stand from a long time ago. Here's here. This is a great opportunity for me to talk about sound men. Okay. Sound men are so important way yeah. more important than people give him credit for because a good sound man can make you sound great and a bad sound man can make you sound horrible even if you're great and Kevin was the great one and you know they so often don't get the credit they deserve because they're in the background running the board but man they can make or break you and Kevin was oh I was always happy when I saw that Kevin was going to be mixing me or if I was the band or mixing polo uh, because we knew it was going to be good. <laughs> I, and I'll say this, most of the sound men at Disney are really great. We're lucky. We're blessed out there to have really good sound technicians because without that, you're dead, man, dead. You know, exactly. so there you go. A big round of applause for you, Kevin. Ah, yeah, Thanks. Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Good talking to you. you know, are you going to go? Are you all done? No, not, not necessarily, no. Oh, yeah, hang okay, out. We've got Scott Wolf here. Scott's Scott been here Wolf. the whole time. Oh, hi, Scott. He was the one 
on the one. So, folks, if you want to be on the show, be sure and let the producer know because when you're blocked, I can't tell. So he's one of those fancy people, your friend Scott Wolf. so I couldn't see his numbers. But he said next time he'll unblock his phone just for me. So I'm going to put Mr. Kimmel on hold because uh, if I have too many lines, we get a lot of feedback. So, okay. uh, Mr. Kimmel, if you'll stick around, uh, I don't know if you know Mr. Wolf, but let's see what Mr. Wolf has to say because he was our invited guest. And, uh, well, let, me, let me introduce, let me, yeah, let me introduce Scott. Uh, Scott okay. Uh, is the one that wrote the book with me, uh, The Music, Mayhem, and the Mouse. And Scott is a Disney, I would call him a Disney historian. He's like one of the guys, one of the few guys that we go to uh, there in our division if we need specifics about what did Walt wear Thursday, July 14th in 1958. Scott would know that. Scott knows everything Disney and Disneyland. And uh, so it was really fun to have him work with me on this book uh, because he is the quintessential uh, expert on so many things Disney, you know. So there's your introduction, Scott. Welcome to the show. It was a red hat and a blue sweater and short. No, I have no idea what he wore on that day. Hey, Stan. Yeah, Yeah, right. Yeah, Scotty. I've been enjoying the show. I'm I'm sorry that I have to interrupt it. I've been enjoying listening to you. No, well, great. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're on there, yeah. So I'm excited about the book, and I, I don't know, this might be the first time that people are hearing about it, but gosh, did I love listening. I don't know if they know, what is it, at least a couple years of getting together and you just telling me every story and me trying to pick your brain as much as I can, but I'm really excited people are hearing some of the stories now and they're going to get to hear some more. Oh, please tell me I'm not out. Am I still on? You're you're on you're on you're on. So okay. Steve, okay. So okay. Good. <laughs> Steve, Steve, tell us one of your. Thank you for joining us. It's really yeah. nice to have you. Sorry for the technical glitch. No problem. And, and, problem. and when Kevin Kevin was going out the door, and I wanted to add that I've seen productions, and uh, I didn't have any idea of what the talent was. But then I saw somebody pulled up from the audience, and the sound man made that person in the audience sound good. And that was my first time realizing that if you have a good sound man, you can pull off any sort of a miracle. But I want to hear you, Steve, tell us about one of your favorite stories as a Disney historian. I want to hear, I want to hear what you have to say as your favorite. I want to know your favorite. Oh, there's a ton. And... Um... Uh, Stan, I I interviewed Stan years ago, and he's a baby, you know, because a lot of the people I've interviewed, well, so many are no longer around um, because they worked with Walt Disney and people who started there in the 1930s and 40s. One of my favorite days of Disney might be the day I actually met Stan. Um, I have now going back, I knew of Stan. I've seen Stan. I used to go to Disneyland. I used to see him conducting his own big band. So. You know, a lot of the special events that I've got to, and I do a lot of photography, so a lot of the events that I got to photograph when I was working for Disney, even though that wasn't my main job, uh, there would be Stan. He'd be at an ambassador ceremony and conducting the band. And, and he, I, I don't know, Stan, I think you were doing talent booking and still conducting the band. Is that right? I, I don't know mm-hmm. if, if he can hear me. But um, for the ambassador ceremonies or Disney legend ceremonies and things like that, but in 2007... I was asked by the Disney Studios to produce a show 
to uh, to celebrate the life of Fulton Burley. And Fulton was a Disney entertainer. He was in the famous Golden Horse Review, which was it's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for having more live performances than any other stage show. And that was a wow. show that was at Disneyland from 1955, um, it, the opening of Disneyland, until 1986. And Fulton joined the show in 1962, and he was there until the last performance. So when he passed away, they hired me to do a tribute. We did it over at the Disney Studios. And I had some, just a few people I knew with the show, and I would call them and say, um, to this celebration for Fulton. And uh, one of them was Sonny Anderson. Uh, someone put me in touch with Sonny. Sonny was Stan's predecessor, and Stan has to tell some Sonny stories. If not, they're in the book. <laughs> but Sonny was a – they had a lot of similarities. I don't even want to go into that, Stan. If you want to, please do. But um, the, at the core of both of them are just really great, great people. And I just remember that Sonny, it was very important to him to sit next to Stan in the, uh, in the audience for this celebration. And um, he was, so that was really, I, I called up Stan and I assured them they could sit together and everything. And that was when I first met Stan. And then because I had known of him, then I had my other thing. I said, Stan, I need to interview you, you know, for my website because I, I love not only the people who worked with Walt in those days, but I, I think Disney is still amazing, and I love the current. I love the live entertainment. You know, really, the live entertainment in Disneyland is the kind of entertainment that you just, you know, it's top-notch. Stan hired the best. You're seeing the best entertainers. So, you know, I love that. Plus, you've got your shows and your parades and all kinds of things. So I had to interview Stan, and interview, so to answer your question, it was definitely that tribute to Fulton, which is really kind of rare. Um, a lot of people don't know about that. But, yeah, interviewing Stan the first time was so funny because he was still working for Disney, and he would tell me so many stories. And it's like, that's not for the website, though. <laughs> you know, Now he's retired. <laughs> put him in the book. So I don't know if that answers. That may not be the most exciting. Um, I met my wife at Disneyland. That was kind of exciting. Um but to ask your question, you know, there's, there's, I have so many great Disney memories. I started working there in 88 in TV animation, and because I love Disney, I always just tried to be in, as involved as I could, meeting whoever I could. And even though I was stationed at the Disney studio in Burbank, um, I got a silver pass, and I was able to go to Disneyland and, uh, whenever I wanted, and that kind of opened the door for me. I mean, before that... You know, I went once a year with my family. I would never stop and listen to a live band. I would never go. You know, I might be walking by Carnation Plaza Gardens and stay for a song. But when I got that silver pass and I was able to go there and stay for a set or two, and uh, Stan was conducting the band. He was the band leader. They had all the big names. I mean, it was the last of the real big name, big band leaders, and Lionel Hampton and Buddy Rich and all these people. And then you had Stan Freeze, Stanford Freeze. He was Stanford Freeze in the Disneyland Big Band. And that was just, you know, those were really, really magical times. Without that pass, I don't know that I would have done it. But it, it would, it's what started me with just a fascination for, you know, so many things Disney. So now it's the Stan you know Freeze show today, Kimmel? not mine. So I guess I should shut up for a little bit here. <laughs> Do you know Kevin Kimmel, Mr. Wolf? I don't. It's nice to meet you, Kevin. I don't know if you're still on the air yeah, here. Still on. Yeah. Yeah. I'll thank you. you man, right. Right. Hmm. Um. Hey, Kevin, you were there for how many years? 
37 was it? I was there from 30, uh, 37. I started in 81. Wow. Yeah, I didn't hear your whole thing because I um, they interrupted to, to talk to me here. So, But were you with the band? Is that where you were? No, I was oh, he's the sound, sound technician. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Stan, did, I, did you ever introduce me? I know a few times we walked around the park and stuff. I don't know. I don't know if we ever met. I don't remember. Yeah. How neat. Yeah, the sound technician. But the thing is, you know, we were talking about some, some crazy early on stories uh, that, that stuck out in my mind. One of them, you know, when Disney World first opened, down there we had great musicians from all over the country they all came down there not really knowing what to expect not knowing it was going to be 100 degrees every day 100 percent humidity rain you know and you're playing out and all that stuff so i had a lot of musicians quit within the first six months which meant i had to find new people to replace them and one of my favorite stories about all of that was one time i got a call from a trumpet player in atlanta and he said, hi, my name is so-and-so. I live in Atlanta. I'd like to come down and audition for the band. I hear you have an opening. I said, yep, we sure do. He said, okay, I'm going to be staying. I'm going to come down. I'll stay at the YMCA in downtown Orlando. And if you could pick me up, that would be great. I said, I'll pick you up, and I'll take you out to the park, and we'll have you perform with the band, have you play some tunes, a little Dixieland, blah, 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 blah. And so, great. Now, the next day, here I am. I get in my car. I go to pick this guy up. And I'm going down a, a street called the Orange Blossom Trail. And on the news, I hear itinerant trumpet player from Atlanta murders local over a pool game at the YMCA. And I freak out. My jaw drops because that's the guy. And so I remember making a U-turn in the middle of the street and just driving back with my, my jaw down, coming back home, walking in, sitting down and saying, you're not going to believe what just happened. But this guy killed the guy. Now I'm thinking, what if I had hired him and I'd gotten really mad at him about something and we'd had an argument. It's possible, you know, he would have taken his trumpet and killed me, you know. So you, you, you're running into some wild wild stories in those early days. You're talking about Sonny Anderson. Sonny Anderson was Mr. Disney Entertainment for so many years, and everybody loved him. But, boy, I'll tell you, there were some, you think there's some crazy stories about me going around. There was really fun stories about him. And so uh, I said to one of the leaders of the bands that Sonny was in at one point, his name was Judd Dinot, Sonny was playing at the Blue Bayou drums before he became the booking manager. And he would show up late every day. He was late after lunch. He would go out with the boys at lunchtime and whatever. Anyhow, he was always late. So I said to Judd Dinot, his boss, I said, why don't you fire Sonny? And Judd looked at me and said, how can you fire a guy named Sonny? (laughs) (laughs) That said it all, you know. That was the story of his life. Can I add something? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Rich. Oh, okay. Well, I was at Disneyland from 1975 to 1978. And so I remember those days well. And as Stan's telling these stories, I smell the place. I can hear the place. I can feel the place. There was nothing like it back in the the 70s for me as a kid. But uh, the story I was thinking about Stan is that he knows 
one of the most famous people in the world, and his name is Donald Duck. Do you have a story about him? Well, uh, Donald, uh, yeah, well, that, yeah, uh, Donald Duck and, and Mickey Mouse. I got a lot of stories about Mickey Mouse. Uh, Donald was Glenn Gailey, uh, the the one that was like the the real Walt, Walt's favorite Donald Duck for sure. But the, the the crazy stories are about the fellow that played Mickey Mouse, and uh, he was an elderly fellow, uh, bald hair and uh, bald head, and he looked old. And so we're doing we're doing a, a character show at Carnation Garden. I have the band up there, and I introduce, and here's Mickey Mouse. Well, out comes Paul with his, you know, and, and he trips. And when he, and this is a kiddie show. There's 200 kiddies out, the kids out there in little tiny chairs, all screaming and hollering. Paul falls, trips, his head comes off, rolls across the stage <laughs> at Carnation Gardens. And the audience, all these kids are horrified. <laughs> and the band is horrified. And the band can't keep playing. They, they are laughing so hard. And Paul is going, God damn it, God damn it, God damn it. He's swearing at the top of his lungs uh, in front of all these kids, trying to find his hat, his head, the Mickey head, and put it back on. The other, the other great story about him was... New Year's Eve, they decided, Marilyn Carroll and Steve Carroll, uh, two really wonderful show directors at Disney for years, were producing New Year's Eve. So part of it was that, that Paul Cabot, Mickey Mouse, the older guy, was going to get on top of the Matterhorn, and they were going to dress him like baby New Year. And they were at the uh, stroke of midnight, they were going to push him down the Tinkerbell uh, trapping. So he w- and then he was going to be followed by a spotlight, and then the park was going to play uh, in the loudspeakers "Old Lang Syne" as Paul was supposed to be flying. Well, Paul gets up there, and he t- and, and he looks down at what he's supposed. They've got him all hooked up. They had the harness especially made for his height and his weight, but they hadn't taken him up there yet. Well, okay, so here it is. It's time to go. He's up on top. They got him hooked up. He looks down and he says, "No way." I'm not going to do that. He, and so they, the announcement comes on, ladies and gentlemen, uh, baby New Year. And Paul is up there playing. He says, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. Steve and Marilyn pushed him. They pushed him off the ramp, and he's flailing all the way down. He is flailing and screaming and swearing in his baby New Year outfit all the way down the Tinkerbell chute. Yeah, and nobody knows it. Yeah, and here he is. You know, he is supposed to just like look like he had a bow and arrow, as as the baby New Year would have. You know, he ended up throwing that down at the crowd below, and uh, and just flailing all the way down. So, another one of those good stories. Yeah, I should probably say for the sake of Disney, now they have the real Mickey Mouse. They don't have it, have people play him. They have the real Mickey Mouse in the parks now. But yeah, Paul Castle. right. Paul was quite a character. He started the Ice Capades, I believe, before he was even. That's with how him. he started. Isn't it? Yep. Stan? And, and Walt hired him. And Walt, Walt hired him specifically, and he hired Wally Bogue specifically. Yeah. And paid them, he paid Wally Bogue really well. And uh, Wally came in and was the, the face of the Golden Horseshoe. He was it. He was Mr. Golden Horseshoe for all those years. 
Yeah, he so, was. And, and Paul, Paul was the other guy handled. The, yeah, so. So yeah, where was the Fulton uh, stand? That was you know what I was talking about the Golden Horse Review, and yeah, that was Wally's show from the beginning. So just to kind of yeah. put that together. And Betty yeah. Taylor. Yeah. And Betty. Well, yeah, and Betty, Betty. Taylor. Then was I had Walt. Then I worked. I worked with those two. I worked with them at, at Disney World when we opened Disney World in Florida. They brought um, Wally down there uh, for uh, the first. I don't know when we opened. And he yeah, the Diamond for quite a while. Yeah, the Diamond Horse Review down there. So that was a lot of fun. Wally. Wally started in vaudeville. Betty, she right. had performed with Sinatra. She performed in Vegas. Just to kind of give an idea, I mean, these are top-notch performers. Do you do you have any stories of them from the Diamond Horse? I'm putting you on the spot because I don't I don't know if you ever told me any stories about them. But what were they like? I mean, they were great performers. Great performers, wonderful performers. You know, absolutely the old. That was old school, wonderful showbiz. Both of them, classy acts, really classy people, and uh, and just did a great job. There are no you know, crazy stories I can tell about either one because they're just really professional, great people. And what was now in Florida? You were the band leader, were, huh? How were you involved with the Diamond Horse in Florida? Because you were the band leader there, right? Or was this a different? I was time? the leader of the Disney World Band. No, I was leader of the Disney World Band, the concert and marching band. Yeah. And this, uh, so I really didn't have anything much to do. That band down there uh, was already put together out here and then taken down there. Um, they had Arno Marsh, and they had Buzzy Mills and um, Warren Sauer on drums. Cool. And uh, so, yeah, it's just unbelievable players. You know, the, the caliber of musician at the Disney theme parks is too good for the room. I mean, it is so unbelievable. All these years, first it was Sonny that had that standard, and then he transferred that standard of, to me, to only hire the really best. And I'll tell you what, I can't say enough about the quality of the musicians and the entertainers at the Disney theme parks. It is so good. You know, I mean, it's just, it's non-parallel, you know. And, and Wally Sam, was all hire, part of that. Sam, did you hire the New Orleans jazz players that walk the streets there? Remember that? Yeah. Yep. I hired those, those guys were sure. great. Those guys yeah, there was a number of groups over there. I hired a number of those groups. Uh, Teddy Buckner was over at, uh, played there at nights. And, uh, you know, Jack, uh, Jack McVeigh, who actually had a yeah, hit called Open the Door, McVay. Richard. Yeah, he had, a, he, had a, he had a big hit in the 50s called Open the Door, Richard. And he didn't make yeah, a yeah. penny off it. Back then, the record companies really took advantage of the black entertainers financially got him into real bad contract. And that was the case with Jack McVeigh and open the door. Richard, it sold a million copies. He didn't make a nickel. Yeah. So, um, you know, it just breaks your heart. So, it breaks your heart. We've come a long way since then. Thank heaven. So Stan, you have, you have such a great piece of insight into um, the early days of Disney. Um, everything. Working there, your family, and um, I've been to your birthday parties, and I've, I've you have the friends from Disneyland brought in, so, and I've been to your house, and I would say that you are truly a dedicated Disney person, um, from the dishes um, down to your friends. 
Yeah, the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, this whole thing is like, you know, it's been my whole life, you know, so, I mean, I guess I couldn't get away from it. Thank heavens Tara is all for it, you know. That and all of our, nat- our Native American stuff. This house looks like you're walking into a, a, a teepee someplace. You know, I collect all of this Native American stuff, but lucky Tara is Cherokee, so that worked out really well, you know. Nothing, nothing like finding a, a wife that's uh, part Cherokee. She lets me get to buy with tons of Indian Tara, artifacts. She's there. Are you there, Tara? She's there. Yeah. I've been trying to talk to her. I was, I was muted. I'm here. Oh, Tara, I'm here. you are. Okay, I, I had it on you. Sorry. That's okay. Listen, I've got Dane Ann Monroe on here, and she would like to share on your first show. Is that okay? Oh, great. Good. Yeah. Dr. Monroe. She's yes. a doctor. Yep. Dane oh, Ann yeah, Monroe. Okay, so I didn't know I've got so many people on here, but I can only handle so many in my ear. I, I had to yeah. apologize to her. So, uh, okay. Well, uh, folks, I'm going to have to put a few of you on, and let's let Dane Ann uh, enjoy with Kevin. And I'll leave Kevin and Scott on with you, if that's okay, Stan, and Tara. Okay? okay. And me and Rich, I'm going to try to do me and Rich and uh, Suzanne off for a minute. Okay, Suzanne? So if we don't get feedback. This is great, man. This is, yeah, this is fun. This is this is mayhem. You talk about music mayhem in the mouth. This is mayhem. <laughs> I'm telling now, you. Jane Ann uh, has been Gene Ann has been one of the, the top supporters of entertainers at Disneyland. Uh she's oh, an eye doctor yeah. actually. And uh Wow. But she loves coming out and, and enjoying all the live music out there. She's a musician herself. And uh actually she actually when she was young she played tuba. So she's got to be okay. Uh, so it was, it, it was between playing tuba and being a doctor. She made the right choice. I made the wrong one. I'm an operator. Okay, I'm all Stay in all your co-hosts with your ACO Radio Club. We're now on mute, and now you and Tara have the floor. Tara, are you on 906? Is that your number? Uh, my number is 714-686. Oh, I'm turning off the wrong Okay. So well, I hope I'm on. Am I on? Yeah, you're on. And uh, here I am. I, I can. Add, oh. I wanted to add another dimension to who these lovely people are. They're great humanitarians. They support so many causes. I think when we hear entertainers, uh, you know, are are you wonder about what these people are like, and they're just the best friends. They have a group of people that they gather around them, and they're so regular about staying in touch and keeping us all together. And, um, you know, I just can't even tell you what quality people you're talking to here. These are wonderful people. And Stan Fries is a musician's best friend. We've talked about this so much. You know, at Disneyland, you don't think about it, but you can go into that venue and stand literally three feet from someone who's a, a quality musician that's just, you know, that's worked their whole life to master their craft and, and have that experience. And I don't know any musician that isn't just, you know, so grateful to Stan and the affiliation and everything. He hires, you know, he hired all these musicians for all these years, like 43 years. He's in the Disneyland Hall of Fame. He has no ego at all. Now, how many people do you know, and I'll say that for Tara too, that are at this station in life, they just have no ego at all. 
they're very harmonizing and loving people. They don't polarize. And I'm so blessed to be their friend. I mean, this, this family is the real deal. And they have a loving family with grandchildren, and they include so many people into their, in their scope and in their sphere. And I'm so grateful to be their friend. And it's just so great to hear them entertain, you know, interviewed tonight and everything they're about. So, Stan and Tara, thank you for everything you do for the world and for the universe. And your, 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 hey, Jean Ann, your checks in the your checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love oh, you. Man. I mean, you really, you know, yeah, you, you, everybody has different. But he's just, they're just the greatest people. You couldn't well find two fine. Jean you you enjoy the musicians, so that's why you enjoy kind of what we do with them because you're a musician yourself. But you know, you you really. Are a really good critic and, and source of of uh, of me uh, getting your example and, and your opinion of the different groups we have out there because you know them all, you know, and you're a great musician yourself. But thank you very much for saying that, Gene, and that uh, I, I resemble that. No, I mean, <laughs> anyhow, thanks, Gene, and a, a whole bunch. You, that's nice. I love you both. Bye bye. Yeah, love you too. Bye, bye. sweetie. Bye bye. Dang. I'm, <laughs> that was I'm going to do this more often, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is great. Thank you. A- anybody yes. there? Are you there? Hello. I'm here. I'm here. Yes, okay. I'm here. Can you hear me, okay. Sam? Oh, good. You know what? The best part of this is is that you um, you put it. You only put it on Facebook, and of course we have the AC. Um, gosh, American. Communications online blog talk radio for anybody to call in and talk to Stan if they can stand to wait on the board. But what a great opportunity for you to talk about a personal story and to tell us the details that only a person who's worked at Disney as long as you have and have lived the Disney life can share with us. And you really are an instrumental force because you brought the talent into the park that made it vibrant and alive and added to it. It wasn't like you went there for the music. You went there to go to Disneyland, and you got the music. So it's a great gift that you bring to Disneyland, Stan. And what are you doing today well, with Disney? Well, uh, I am nothing. We're closed. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, am, I am conducting uh, and doing clinics out there as part of a program that we have where uh, different public school bands, junior high, high school, and college come out, and they take a clinic uh, with somebody like myself, and we, I conduct them doing uh, music from Disney soundtracks, and then we actually end up, at the end of the day, we put them on, we record them, and they go home with them playing the music to a, a, the soundtrack to a Disney movie. So it works out really great for the kids. I have a great time doing it because it gives me an opportunity to, to give back, you know. And so I do those. Sometimes I do three or four a day. So wow. uh, when when the park kicks back, yeah, so it's not retired, it's retarded. But I'll do uh, I'll do a few, you know, when the, when the park opens back up again, I'll be back swinging and, and it'll be a lot of fun. It's fun for me to be able to give back, you know. And it's fun yeah. for me. To, I, you know what my job has been? My, my whole thing has been to showcase the wonderful musicians and entertainers at Disney. I don't do it 
for the money, if I did, I would have been out of there in a month and a half. I do it because I get a chance to to showcase these musicians and entertainers, uh, their great talent uh, as a result of their hard work, and they're wonderful people. And without Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm, I do the same thing at Knott's. The, the, without that, you know, I mean, golly. So both Knott's and Disneyland are so happy and, and so uh, to have great talent, and the talent's happy to be out there. So I'm, I'm kind of a common denominator of all of that, rather than to take a bow and say, ain't I great? I get a chance to take a bow and say, aren't they great? You know, and so that's been that's been my mission. I've often thought, you know, this is really what I do, and this is what I enjoy doing, is letting the whole world know what great players these guys are, both at Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland. So, so there, in, your, in your family, you have an up-and-coming great musician, a couple of great musicians, grandchildren. So that would be, uh, would that be the fourth or the fifth generation of musicians? So you have an up-and-coming musician in your family. Yeah. Again, talk about that for a minute, please. Well, you know, uh, Josh has four uh, four kids that are in theater and doing really well in theater. And Jason has two sons that are in music. And ten- Tennessee, how's that a name? Tennessee <laughs> Freeze is 10 years old, 11 years old. And he's a great keyboard player and uh-huh. sax player. And he's got a band that he's in, actually, that is a great band. We went and heard him the other day. Is seven years old, and he is a drummer. So uh-huh. it, it's crazy that these kids are coming up uh, because they want to, not because we're beating them up saying they got to at all. <laughs> Uh, but they're both, you know, like really going to be outstanding. And it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know what, I don't want to get in their way. You know, I mean, they're in for a hell of a ride, good and bad, by being a professional musician. It ain't all, you know, roses. But, they, you know, the good parts are so good that it makes that life good. But the, both of these kids, as far as music goes, if they want to, and I think they kind of do so far, will be great players. And Jason supports them. Jason gives them a theory lessons. Here's Colt is seven, Tennessee eleven, and he gets music theory, composition, uh, and 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 Jason teaches them the jazz piano. And then they have a wonderful lady teacher that uh, comes by, and and teaches them the legit piano, classical piano. What's her name? Yeah, Miss Sue. I don't know what her name is, but she's great. And so the boys take both jazz and and uh, classical keyboard, and they love it. So as long as they love it, it's cool. And the minute they don't like it, they can become a doctor. Uh, <laughs> that, that is really yeah, that right. is really great. Yeah, that is perfect. So I think that a lot of what happens with a person's musical ability happens before they're born. Uh, yeah, while sure. the mother, while the mother's pregnant, they're listening to music, and they're learning music, and so I think it's an interesting advantage because they pick up so much through osmosis just by being present for the great music, and so I I wonder how much of their talent is exposure and being in a musical family and talent and opportunity. Break that down for me just a little bit. Talk about that. Well, 
I would say that the majority of it is like, are they really into it? Are they loving it? Is it in their bowls? Do you have to tell them to stop practicing? You know that you've got a, a good uh, contestant for a, a good musician if you have to tell the kid, stop practicing, start doing something else, you know. And that's kind of what I had to do with my boys, and that's uh-huh. what they're having to do with Tennessee and Colts. Especially wow. Tennessee, you know, you have to just say, come on, please quit practicing. And <laughs> and that's kind of the name of the game, you know. I, uh, I wasn't quite like that in the beginning. You know, I, I was, it, it took a little convincing for me to practice. Of course, I was lugging around a 25-pound tuba. That could have been part of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, I, I'm trying to remember, I don't know if I have this story correct or not, but was your father – one of the people that organized the entertainment for the men the that Navy. were in World War yeah, Navy, World yes, War Two, Korean Okay. He booked, yes. No, he booked all the stateside entertainment, the bands and all, he the professional stuff for all the stateside navy bases during World War Two. Wow. So and 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 he had a fellow working for him by the name of Charlie Farrell, who did his, among other things, my little Margie. Um, mm-hmm. But when he was in the Navy, he worked for my dad in that same capacity, hiring. So that's how my dad got to know Stan Kenton and Woody Herman and, and uh, all, all of those people uh, back then yeah. because he hired them, you know. So that was kind of a fun thing for him. It, it, it was a nice job to have during the war, that's for darn sure. So, yeah, so he did all that booking, you know. Dan Kent, great jazz musician. I um that that was somebody who died in the eighties, and I actually heard him perform live once. So who was that? Uh, what, Stan Kent. Oh, Kent. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. There were some great big band musicians back then, big band leaders. You know. So yeah. it was interesting. The one reason I got the job, uh, at, uh, they asked me to be the the big band leader, was that. We were we were hiring all the big bands out of Disneyland, but all the leaders were dead. You know, so it would be the Stan Kenton band, but without Stan Kenton, or it'd be the Glenn Miller band without Glenn Miller. And so finally, we were paying all this money for uh, for ghost leaders, ghost bands. So they finally said, Stan, we're going to save a whole lot of money. We're going to hire you to do it. And so they called it Stan Freeze in the Disneyland band. But it's it uh, it was not making any sense. For us, uh, us to hire all those bands, we did get the advantage of having their music being played, their books, as we call it. But uh, but actually, it just wasn't worth it anymore to to be paying the big money and not having the name leader out in front. Wow! So that kind of helped what I did. Hmm. Well, you know, um, you know, I've never I've never asked you this story. Um, how did you meet? Tara, and how did you bring her into the Disney family? Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was hiring, yeah, I can tell parts of that. No, I was hiring <laughs> uh, the entertainment at Downtown Disney as part of my gig. Uh, and so a couple of the supervisors of the entire Downtown Disney said, Stan, you have to go over to Island Charters and see this girl that works in there, and and at the you know that's at the time I was dating somebody, 
And I thought, you know what, I don't need this. So I didn't do it. I blew it off. Every time I see them, they say, Stan, you got to go to Island Charters and see this girl. So finally I went, okay, to get him off my case, I went over there, walked in the door, and all of a sudden, bang, there's Tara. You know, she'd been, I didn't know, but she was Miss International Redhead and all these other beauty awards. But I went, wait a minute, what's she doing here? You know, so I, I, I tried to kind of like stumble around and say I wanted a shirt. And uh, so, so, so she sold me some shirts that I could have cared less about. And uh, the next thing you know, I asked her out. You know, she actually said yes. So I said, I'll tell you what, I, you know, I smoke. I'm an ex-alcoholic. I'm this, I'm that. I got to tell you all this stuff ahead of time. If you want to still go out, it would be great. And, but if not, I'll understand. <laughs> I what did hear. you say? What did you say? Are you kidding? Oh, I said, oh, that's fine with me. <laughs> I was like, I was mesmerized. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyhow, it all worked. It just worked like it's supposed to. Yep. You know, it everything is, happens for a reason. If it's easy. It so, was all easy. Let's yeah, work. it's easy. Yeah. So it worked, wow. and we've been blessed with a great relationship. Wow, that is such a touching story. Um, I think that you are... Um, I think you're somebody who really typifies um, what we believe about our work is is that you do the work that you're destined for and the blessings um, as a result of doing your life's work, all the blessings are given to you that you need in order to continue to do your life's work. And through prayer and through living a life that is really about supporting other people, you really have created a world for you, your sons, your grandchildren, for your wife, for your friends, for your charities. I mean, you really have created this life. Well, yeah, I guess we kind of have. You know, it, uh, it's kind of what you make of it, you know. And, and the thing is, you know, we only go around once. It, it, I'm kind of like, I, I, I like Ram Das when he says, we're all just walking each other home. So I always try and, and you know, live my life that way, you know, by, mm-hmm. by making other people happy, showcasing other people, uh, you know, the, uh, oh, what's his name? Where is that? The, uh, there's something else. Anyhow, go ahead. You know uh, what? I, I, no, 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 it's good. It's really good. So, um, you you mentioned the fact a couple of different times that um, you're in the in the process of recovery. But when I when I listen to that part of your story, um, it's been so many decades um, that you've committed your life to um, assisting other people in their journey of recovery. Um, talk about that a little bit. You really have been a person who's been upfront, honest, and direct about that part of your story. No no covers. Nothing. You've just been out there. I am not the anonymous part of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh-huh. Because I kind of feel that everybody should hear my story out front. And maybe by hearing my story, they will. Are you there, Stan? You sort of cut out a little yeah, bit. Okay. Yeah, I, I, it's, sort of, it's sort of faint. I need you to kind of adjust your mouthpiece. Oh, okay. I'll Good. Good. Yeah, much. Thank you. Okay, how about now? 
Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we don't have as much control over the sound as I wish we did, but we're 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 doing it. Um, yeah, it's a great story. It's a great support system. Somebody's. Uh, I might turn somebody off. They're making a lot of noise. I'm not sure who it is. is that you, Rich? Uh, no, that's me with my paper. Sorry. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, no wonder I was turning yeah. everybody off, but I couldn't figure out who it was. Oh, it was that's, me, that's me with this paper. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to roll my own as we talk. <laughs> oh my gosh! Tara, tell us one of your favorite stories about Stan, preferably in the early days of dating him, please. Uh-oh. Uh oh. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what. When I when when I first met Stan, when he I, he first came to the store. And and introduced himself to me, but he hadn't asked me out. And I was like, darn, he keeps looking at me, he keeps smiling at me, he tells me how beautiful I am, but what, why hasn't he asked me out? You know, what's going on here? So I got off work. I knew Stan was only work um, Monday through Fridays. And this was a Saturday. But I went outside the store, and there was a, there was a planner there, and I sat down, and I knew, I knew like I knew like I knew that he would come walking by. Hmm. And sure enough, I sat there for maybe five, ten minutes, and here comes Stan walking up, up downtown Disney. And, uh, you know, I pop up like, oh, look, I just happened to be here. <laughs> and uh, he, he uh, came over, and we started talking, and that was actually when he asked me out, you know, and uh, oh. we've been together ever since. Oh, that is a lovely story. I yeah. love it. I really love and it. And then when we and then when we went to get married, now this was great because having access to all the Disney artists, all the Disney everything, we had a lot of Disney planners working with us on our wedding. Uh, to the point where several of the girls came up to me and said, uh, at work we call Stan Brightzilla. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Tell us about your yeah. Disney wedding. Tell us about that, please. Oh, it was wonderful. We got married at a place called the Brothers of St. Patrick. It's mm-hmm. in uh, Huntington Beach, right off of Bolsa. And it's, uh, it's a monastery uh, for retired priests. And so we had rented it, rented out the, not the inside, but the outside area that looks like this giant park it's just beautiful and had two stages so Ralph Brennan's uh, the restaurant in downtown Disney they catered it for us and then uh, Stan had uh, two or three bands that played and we had I think four or five hundred people that showed up and it was uh, it was just wonderful it was also one of the hottest days of Tara are you there sweetheart there you go you dropped off for a second. One out? of the hottest. Well, yeah, I can hear you now. One of the hottest days of the year was it 102? Yeah, it was 107. 107. Oh! <laughs> it was 107, and they had these these bathrooms that that backed up, but it was so hot nobody had to go to the bathroom. Everybody, everybody just sweated it out. Yeah, really. It was funny. It was it oh, was great. Is... It was a great day. 
Oh, that is a lovely story. You did an event there later, Stan, and you brought me in, and I, yeah. I yeah. went to that location. What a beautiful, beautiful, you would never know it was there. It's almost hidden. Yeah. Yeah, and then I, I can also tell you how he proposed to me. Oh, yeah. So we're, we're over at Josh and Nicole's house, and um, he takes his call, and he goes, uh, I've got to go look at a car tonight because he buys and sells old Corvettes. So okay, let's go look at it. So we leave, and he said, I want you to drive. Okay, so I get in the car. We leave Long Beach, and we're over by the Brea Mall. He's saying, go here. And on the time, he's got somebody on the phone that's supposed to be giving him directions to look at this car. So I'm just past the mall on State College, and all of a sudden, there's a cop behind me. And I'm going, stand there. There's this cop. And he says, keep going. And he said, you're not doing anything wrong, right? No. So he's like, oh, just keep driving. So I'm driving, and all of a sudden the red lights go on. And it's like, crap, he's pulling me over. So then the guy gets out, the cop comes over to the car, and he says, ma'am, did you know that there's a warrant out for your arrest? Like, oh, man, no. Where, Where did this come from? So Stan's like, just just go along with it. Let's see what we can do. So I get out of the car. This cop, all of a sudden, he rolls, and he's a real cop. He rolls out this paper, and it says wanted. And it was some artwork that was done by the Disney artist that says wanted for being uh, sweet, wonderful, kind, blah, blah, blah. Um, And you were sentenced to the rest of your life being married to me. Oh, yeah. It. <gasps> so, so he asked me to marry him while a cop was looks like was going to arrest me, and all these cars are whizzing by. <laughs> <laughs> that stand a plus for yeah. originality and really romantic. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I know about every, romantic, but every girl yeah, dreams of, of getting a proposal with cuffs behind it. She dreams of yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> He had to be arrested in order to propose. <laughs> you are smart. Well, I am kind of sorry our audience can't just see how stunningly beautiful you are, Tara, because um, – You're old, Brad. No, you're not. Um, you're not old. You do not look old. And, um, you know, you you are just really quite beautiful inside and out. And so it's really – very lovely, and that is a that is one of the most unusual uh, wedding proposal stories I have ever heard, and I've listened to a lot, so I like I like it very much. So, Tara, yeah. tell us a story you'd like to share with us because you really you really are a big part of Stan's story. You really are the person who um, you know makes it easy for him to do what he does. You're the one who is the joy and the beautiful heart and the woman who makes it necessary. So share one of your favorite stories. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, it's funny because I'm always the one that does everything correct. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't speed. I don't, you know, I don't do things that are going to get me in trouble. I mean, you know, I'm always the one that just toes the line. And Stan is the one that does it just the opposite. So he's kind of, it's kind of like I'm his straight man. 
so he's he's always doing something with me going, oh, my gosh, are we going to get caught? You know, I mean, <laughs> heaven forbid. So I cannot tell you how many times we sneak in the back doors of places. And he said, just just get your phone out, look down, and don't, don't even ask questions. You know, just follow me. And it's like, oh, my gosh, and it works. <laughs> We're in. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the the one that just kind of make it doesn't I I don't do things the the, the way he does, but that's okay. He's taught me a whole new way of living. <laughs> that is but, really yeah. wonderful. So yeah. you and Stan have a real love of the American American Indians. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and your house is beyond a museum to honor the American Indians, and it's beautiful, and it's comfortable, but it's very, very interesting. That is the best part about your house, is how interesting <laughs> it is. So um, talk about Tara just sold uh, one of the distressed cowboy hats she works on. I know. I, I did. That. Congratulations. It was Thank beautiful. You. Thank you. Yeah, I have a little Etsy store. And uh, one of the things I do on the Etsy store is I have distress. I, I'll get old cowboy hats or any kind of hats, fedoras, and, but I want them to be old, like from the 20s. And then I'll either pull out the lining and put new lining in, clean them, and then once that is done, so they're wearable, then I'll take them and really distress them out so they look really old and funky. And, you know, that kind of started with Stan. He has a real love for hats. I bet you Stan has 400 hats. Wow. So, yeah, I do. Okay. I have 400 hats, and I don't, and I don't wear any of them. <laughs> I hate to wear hats, but I've got them all over the house. Okay. Stan, this, yeah. this is yeah. your producer. Stan, this is your producer, and I still have your yes, lovely ma'am. guests on. So, uh, Mr. Wolf and Mr. Kimmel, uh, if you'd like to get in touch with them or if they're willing to be uh, radio personalities with you, they can tell you how to get in touch with them. But I need you guys to sort of tell them farewell, and then we'll let Rich and Suzanne and ask everybody to come back whenever you decide you want to bring your people on from California. So I thought I'd check in and let you know that. So you guys talk it over. Everybody's live on the air, including Rich and Kevin and Scott. Yeah. Well, what we can do is at a later date, I can get together uh, with Kevin and with Scott, and we can talk all of this stuff offline. Yeah. yeah, I'm having a great time listening, Stan. I only counted 380 hats last time I was there. I don't know. Yeah, and I know it. I know it. <laughs> terrible? I know. I know. I know. But, it was good talking to you, Stan. Anyhow, it's good to talk to you guys. I'm so glad that you chimed in. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I, I yeah, really enjoying kidding? this, and I can't wait to hear more episodes with you, Stan. Oh, well, thanks. Okay, yeah, that'd be fun. We'll do it. All righty. Yeah, you know, Scott, there's many, 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 many stories. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's still going to be more I don't even know, but... Uh, it, yeah, all of a sudden one will go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Oh, yeah, it is just so much fun, and I'm glad you guys get to hear Stan. Reading it, I hope you're going to love the book, but hearing him tell the stories is great. So I'm so happy for this. Very good. Thank no, thank you. you, guys. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm going to still be listening, but I'm going to so, bow out here for a little bit. Okay. What's the book? All right. Bye-bye. 
Bye. What's what's it's the book, you know, Music Mayhem and the Mouse. So and we it's it's finished and now we're proofreading and and uh, Nathan Ike is taking a look and reorganizing some of it. So yeah, it'll be ready to be published any time now. So now it's now the trick will be finding the publisher. Well, that's no, oh. that's, that's, that's an and easy you, bit. The gist of it is, the gist of it is, uh, you know, I've always felt that Hunter S. Thompson kind of, mm-hmm. kind of guides me. And, and I think all throughout the book, I have him in mind, you mm-hmm. know, and he says that life is, is, should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather... Mm-hmm to get in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and proudly proclaim, wow, what a ride. Mm. Oh, that's, that's my idol, Hunter S. Thompson, and that's kind of what the whole book keeps reiterating and, and mutating in, in, in different ways in different chapters, but it's pretty much all about that, you know. <laughs> So do you really, I mean, seriously, I mean, I'm asking a serious question. Do you, do you really feel as if Hunter S. Thomas has showed up um, and given you guidance? No, not a, really. No, no. okay. No, I, no, just no, I just enjoy, I enjoy his writing. Okay. You know? That's who our grandson is named after. Yeah. Oh, is I it, didn't is know it that. Hunter? Yeah. Yeah, Hunter's named after Hunter S. Thomas. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought we had a grandson named Thompson. No, we don't. Yeah, no, Hunter. Yeah, Hunter, our artist grandson, Josh's oldest boy. By the way, a wonderful artist. artist. Oh. Yeah, really great artist. So, he's liable to be our ticket out. I, I don't know many people that read his work, and I really enjoy his work too. So it's kind of a kind of yeah. an interesting thing. The Curse of Lano is a book I have out at the moment. So. Um, all right, we're almost done. We're down to the final bit. So you should really, um, you should really, you know, both of you, I'd like to hear Tara and Stan talk together about something because um, I've seen the two of you together. You're bonded. You're right and left to one another. You're the yin and the yang. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, I'd like to hear the two of you talk together about something. I'm going to push my mute button, and I'm going to listen to you talk about a story that you two like. Oh. You talking about us? Yeah. Yeah. What story do you like about us? What is the story? Close or no close. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Our our honeymoon was pretty wonderful. What was it? (laughs) Our honeymoon? I mean, just in general. Just going to New Orleans. And we went on the paddle boat and where we went up the river for a while on the Delta Queen and came back. It was, uh, it was, it was really magical. It really was. So, anyhow, we've already told them more than we know. (laughs) So, so, you know, but this has really been uh, really fun for us. You know, we appreciate having the opportunity to have the fun with you guys. And, and you uh, know what, for Suzanne, me, Suzanne, thank you. Yes. Go, go through. Well, I was going to say for me, as far as, as with Stan working at Disney, 
So he would work there all day. Then he'd have to check the bands at night because that's when they would be playing. So he'd come home, get me. We'd go back to Disneyland. And, you know, I mean, that was like I had date night every single night. I'm there at Disneyland. We're listening to music. It's beautiful. I mean, you know, it was, it was just magic. It really was. It still is. Yeah, that, that wine, woman, and song turned into bingo, buttermilk, and the old lady. <laughs> well, you know, hey, you get what you get. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, it's been great. It's good. We haven't. You've talked for a really long time. Next time we're gonna we're gonna take and put in a few more guests to pop in with their questions and their comments because once people find out that you're willing to talk to them and they have an opportunity to share their Disney stories, that's what makes the show so exciting is um, how you share a very personal story and you don't share it in a way that you're. You're not at all embarrassed or anything else. Everything's out in the open at this point, so it's really lovely. And you're right. Oh, this good. is a great story. It really is, and you really have been a great conversation. I can talk for hours. Not everybody enjoys it that much, but I think that I have the art of conversation down, and I think that's one of my great strengths. I mean, I enjoy being a great mm-hmm. psychic, but I also enjoy just the conversation and um, I can talk more than I think just about anybody, except for my son. He can out-talk me. Oh, <laughs> oh we noticed Rich was here. Well, we need to talk about we need to talk about the ACO Radio Club with Rich and let him mm-hmm. talk for a minute. And okay. Stan and Tara, I want to uh, make sure we mention your new website so we can start letting all your friends know that you have a web presence, and maybe That's they nice. will help us uh, build if they would like to be a part of your your websites and your web presence and then hopefully we're going to get you guys on youtube again because you're both so good looking and you know the youtube is free and social media is great and all our friends uh, work in a lot of different genres and social media so join all of us look for all of our names in our aco radio club on facebook and instagram and twitter and if you're an entrepreneur please get on linkedin.com and uh, here at TJ Mars ET Radio, we've been doing this eight years, and we love to archive stories for the ACE Folklife Society, and that is part of our ACO, and ACO is for American Communications Online. And I'm really excited about working with Stan and Tara. They know so many people, and Suzanne and Rich. So we've got about six minutes, so each person should take two minutes to introduce their website and then how we're all going to work together with Stan Freeze Entertainment Productions Company whenever we get through all this COVID-19. So I'm going to mute and then let everybody, richflynn.com, I know, but acoradio.club. But uh, Tara, I need yours and Stan yep. separate, and then you're together okay, we'll those production. Okay. Yeah, okay. we'll give those to you. You know, right. And, so, and, and, yeah, we'll figure it out and give them to you for sure. Right. So you have yeah. terrafreeze.com and you have com. You have um, sandfreezeentertainment.com. Uh-huh. And then you also have musicmayhemandthemouse.com. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've got, hey, we can cover, we cover it all. Okay. Yeah. And you have a really beautiful speaking voice, Tara. You have great clarity. I feel your heart when you talk, and 
you know, if you were to tell me the one thing that you really love about the work you're doing today, serving the community, what is the thing that you really, really love about your work today? I mean, I know you love Stan, and I know you love your family, and I know you love your grandchildren. What do you love about your work today? Oh, my work. Well, because I do several things, I mean, my my art that where I'm working with is actually – this is interesting. I think some people find it interesting. I'm working with Stan's ex-wife, Trish, and she is a writer. She's written several novels, but she also has children's um, poetry books, and I am doing the artwork for the poetry books, and it's the two grandmas that are doing it together, and um, I love it. I love working with her, and I love doing the doing my art. Same thing with the hats. I love it. I love the hats, so when somebody else, I can see that they love it, then that makes me feel good, you know. I'm glad that, it, that somebody else enjoys what I'm doing. Wow. Wow. What a great, inspiring story. Um, so what you just said is that you just, love being, you just love being the grandma, whether it's telling the story or um, dressing the family or um, just whatever it takes. It's inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am a woman. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. You know, and the thing is, I have, I'm a, I'm a real feminist. Uh, I, I love showcasing women musicians at Disney. Uh, I kind of feel that it's one of my missions to, to showcase some of the wonderful woman musicians and entertainers that are out there. Which we will have uh, on future shows. People like, yeah, we're going to have them on future shows. Uh, okay. With the Cindy Shea and the Mariachi Divas. And oh, Brooke yeah. Wilk, uh, yeah. Adelaide, you know, uh, Thomasina. We've got oh. just uh, all of these great girl band leaders. I've always <laughs> tried to make girls band leaders every time that I have an opportunity to because they are such great band leaders. And oftentimes... You know, people don't think of women as being strong enough or good enough musicians to be actually a leader of a high-powered professional band. But, uh, wow. but there are a lot of them. And so I love showcasing them. I love letting the world know how great some of these girls are because they really are. So, anyhow, so that's kind of my deal. You know, that's if I had cool. a deal, that, that, that would probably be it, you know. <laughs> I can't say enough about some of these girls. In fact, as I put together two all-girl bands, uh, mm-hmm. one of them was called Miss Behaven, <laughs> and the other one was um, the uh, Suffragettes. <laughs> and so these girls, these are six- and seven-piece bands of nothing but talented women that uh, play well and sing well. And it's just a thrill for me to showcase these girls, you know, and because, like I say, I've been through my my mom was such a, a strong feminist, and uh, you know, five foot two, captain of the college basketball team, and you know, uh, and my ex wife is a talented, talented writer, Tara, with everything she does. I've just I've been surrounded my whole life with with really talented women that I take note of for sure and uh and so it's, it's fun for me to showcase that to showcase these these uh, women at Disney so 
anyhow, I'll continue doing it in my own little way and have some fun with it. You know, did you say, did you? So there, what do you think about that? I think that's fabulous. I love it. And Rich, are you there on the phone? Yes, I am. Okay. I think seven. Give us a plug. Two-minute plug. Oh, a two-minute plug. Well, first I'd like to say that the book about music mayhem in the mouth is going to be a hit. I know it's going to be a hit because just think of all the millions of people who have gone through the park and all the people who have worked there as you're talking about going through the Harbor Gate. You know, just think of all the thousands and thousands of employees that have gone through the Harbor Gate. I mean, that just brings up memories. So you're talking and then everybody is absorbed in their own memories of the experience of Disney. So that's just really going to be a hit. So I'm really really looking looking forward to seeing that. And yeah, uh, thanks. thanks, TJ. Yeah, thanks, TJ, for putting us on. And oh, again, sure. I'm with Yeah. yeah. <laughs> TJ, we'll, we'll save this for the next time, so we'll give people a look forward to the next time, is that TJ's audience, a lot of them are UFO enthusiasts, so stand next time Whoa. you have to tell us about your UFO I'll story. I'll tell them my UFO story when I was six years old. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know no you were kidding. one of us. Yeah. In, in and Elbia, no, I Iowa. Yeah. Oh, and keep the crowd. You're one of us. Yeah. Wow, I'm excited. Oh, so know. that will be next time. Now we don't know, folks, if he's going to have enough material or enough friends that barrage him. So if all you people <laughs> want to go, come over and join us in Radio Land, let Stan and Tara know that's what they do now, and uh, hopefully we'll get them making big films out there when we can all get out there in COVID-19. But we know they're health nuts, so you guys encourage them to do their live Facebooks and encourage them to get get out there on YouTube, make us some more YouTube. So thank you, everybody. You guys are awesome team Stan and Tara Free show I hope folks will tune in like they did tonight they we had three people we had Scott uh, Wolf Kevin Kimmel and Jane Monroe does that sound right Tara yep Jane Ann, that's it yeah. Jane Ann yes mm-hmm. okay and yep. then of course Suzanne and uh, Rich who discovered them and uh, told me about them because we were Suzanne and I started with a psychic show, everybody. So we have uh, we have a psychic channel club, but we haven't even been marketing or getting out and talking about that. Thank you, Rich, for plugging UFO Association. We, we have a lot of people that listen to alien history, and I understand Rich knows somebody that works with ancient aliens on this channel. So that'll be fun. Is that that'll right, Suzanne? Yeah. Uh, uh, Okay. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm sorry, yeah, I didn't hear that. Because <laughs> <Got to>. <laughs> say yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Stan, thank you. Stan, Tara, thank, thank you. you so much. You yep. are fabulous. Really a great show. First show. And um, TJ Morris, thank you. You ran a great board. It was really good. And we'll be back, and we'll do it again. It's just a big party, and everybody's invited. It's the party. So... It's the band. So the party with the band is on the radio. Thank you very much, and have a great day. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Good night. Suzanne, best party second ever with Sanitary Freak Show. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll see. Talk to you guys Thursday, I think, is the next psychic show. Okay.